Welcome to the Church Basement Podcast. Today's topic is why do we pray? Grab yourself a cup of coffee or tea, strap on your running shoes, or pick up your knitting needles or crochet hook and join us. Let us introduce ourselves. I am Pastor Amanda Zenzelow, and I serve as the pastor of Central Lutheran Church in Northeast Portland, Oregon. And I'm Don Miller, a member here at Central and the producer of the podcast. Okay, 2020, especially, <laughs> has been hard. Mm-hmm. People seem to turn to prayer, even if they aren't especially devout or consider themselves any particular faith base. Why do you think people pray? That's such a great question. I think prayer has, for centuries and time immemorial, right, for always, prayer has been something that human beings have engaged in, that reaching for something beyond ourselves, for that thing that is bigger than us and stronger than us, that gives us hope. I think that reaching to communicate with that in some way is just part of human nature. I think prayer gets defined in a whole lot of different ways. Yeah. But if we think about it at its base, being that reaching towards something bigger, greater, stronger than us, you can see prayer across all religions and across time, you know, across geography, across cultures. It's empowering to think that we could reach out and be connected to something bigger than us. And so I think that's part of why we do it. One of my questions was going to be, would you say it's a part of most religions out there? And do you think it's as much talking to a higher power or is it showing your devotion to the higher power? I think it can be all of those things. And I think it really does show up in most religions. And people who have done more world religion study could totally come and prove me wrong. But I can't think of one that doesn't have some kind of an effort to have a connection with a larger sense of something. I'll say that there's a book that I think I've probably mentioned on the podcast among these almost 250 episodes at some point in time, which is the book Lamb by Christopher Moore. Yep. Right. And I've mentioned this before because it has this beautiful section where Jesus is learning how to meditate and then experiences, and, and this is a fictional account. This is made up. This is not scriptural. This is like someone's imagination of what Jesus was like between the age of 13 and 30. Mm -hmm. So Jesus has gone to find the three wise men and learn from each of them. And one of them is teaching him how to meditate. And while he is learning that, he experiences a trauma and he's leaving to go off into the wilderness for a bit. And his best friend Biff is like, where are you going? And he's like, I have been listening. I have been meditating. I have been listening for God for all these years. Now I have something to say. Oh, interesting. It was this dynamic piece of saying meditating is our opportunity to listen for God. Prayer is that opportunity to speak back. And I don't know that that's any necessarily incredibly wise thing, but it's a framing that has helped me as I have pondered through this. Both of those are a way to connect with something bigger than us. One of them is our action towards and another is our waiting for and an openness to. At least that's how I've experienced it. Oh, and I think so, it's an interesting distinction. Isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was one of the most powerful moments of the book for me. It's really echoed for a long time, just in that like, okay, so here's where that difference is. That posture shifts. 
but it's still the same kind of looking to connect with the divine. So you can say that Buddhism, that is so strongly about meditation, they may not pray in the way that we pray, but they are listening for that connection to the holy and to the bigger than. And so I think that this is a part of who we are. I think it's something that we do without knowing that we do it sometimes. Oh, I believe that. Right? <laughs> and I think it's a part of human nature. Do you think that there's a wrong way to do it? I mean, especially I think many mainstream religions sort of have some idea of a right and a wrong way to practice their religion. Yeah. I I don't. I would normally put some kind of caveat to talk about not harming other people, but prayer is something that is kind of like the laments in the Psalms, where when you're being genuine about it, sometimes you are going to pray for the harm of someone else. That's not what we should aim for. But if we're praying for it, God can probably come in and move our hearts away from that. If we're hiding that from our faith and hiding that tendency and that part of ourselves that maybe we shouldn't be so proud of and maybe isn't great, if we hide that, then I think there's less space for God to come in and help us with that tendency within ourselves. And so I think the important thing is to be honest in prayer, to be genuine. I think whether you're praying, you know, great, ginormous, gracious God in heaven, creator of the cosmos, eternal, you know, it, sure. praying like that, or Jesus, you, you're with us every now and right now, God, I just want to ask you, God, to be here and present, God, right now in this moment, surround us with your presence, or whether you're just crying, mm -hmm. <laughs> or whether you are singing a hymn, or whether you are writing, or whether you are walking and breathing with intention, I think all of that are different ways to pray and that none of them are wrong or bad. They're just different. So you can pray both for good reasons and for bad, I guess is what I'm asking. Like you can pray because you're very joyful for what's going on or you can mm -hmm. pray for what you would hope would change. Definitely what you just said, yes. And... You know, there's a lot of, right now in the midst of difficulty and challenge in our country, there's a whole lot of, you can't be a Christian if you pray for, or you are not a good Christian if you pray for. There's a lot of that being bandied about, especially on Twitter. And it can come in the form of praying for the harm of another human being, mm -hmm. right? We see this on Twitter. We see some denominations that pray for the harm of female clergy, for example. And they're very clear that they are praying for female clergy to be harmed. An example of this would be Rachel Held Evans, that there were people when she was sick that were being vocal about praying that she would not survive because she was leading people to heresy. And she did not survive. She died very young and left her children and husband without her presence in their life. And there were people on both sides of that that said, you can't pray for the harm of another human being like that and be a good Christian. And there are some who said, but any prayer you pray is a Christian prayer if you're a Christian person. Mm -hmm. We can flip that and say that when President Trump was tested positive with COVID-19, there were many who prayed that he would face consequences of that illness and that it may harm him. 
And the reaction on that was, again, well, you can't be a good Christian if you pray for the harm of this man. It gets sticky. It sure. gets really sticky. Well, I've never understood the transactional nature that some people like to put on prayer, that you're going to pray for some specific outcome or thing. I never thought that's the way it was supposed to work. Right? That that I pray for something and God is the broker, and if I persuade enough... Or if I'm devout enough. Mm -hmm. It doesn't really mesh with the Lutheran theology. Mm -mm. And what I will say is that I would not publicly pray for the harm of another human being. If my broken spirit and my own anger and rage and retaliation speaks the cries of the psalm where the mothers of the children of the families that have been taken from their homeland and moved to Babylon and are weeping and are being told, sing the songs of your homeland for our entertainment. And they respond with, I would rather dash your children's head upon the stone than use my grief for your entertainment. Right? That is real grief. That's a part of our scripture. It is hard but it is gen because lament comes out of that deep space of human brokenness. So I will say to you, you can pray for good things or bad things. You get to experience whatever emotion you are feeling. And your prayer is a reflection of your experience and your emotion. But the key to the lament is that it doesn't end there. The key to the lament is that it always moves to, but God, you are the one who is in charge. You are the one who knows what is best. And I believe in you and I believe in your steadfast love. And so take this feeling within me and do something with this and move us forward. I will believe in you. I will trust you. I will not trust in my own brokenness. I will trust in your love. The lots always take us there. And so our prayers, we can be genuine. I wouldn't suggest putting it publicly on Twitter. <laughs> wouldn't suggest putting it on Facebook. That doesn't help anybody. But to be genuine in where you are, to move you to a place to say, but God know what is right. And we will find a different way through this. I have forgotten that about the Psalms. And for anybody who is hearing this and wondering more about them, we did an entire series on the Psalms of the Bible, and I would encourage you to go look them up. Absolutely. Okay, so do you think that it works? Do you think you can move from that point of anger on the way the Psalms hopefully do? Yes, I think it does. I think it might take years sometimes. <laughs> That's fair, because that's the other thing. We expect immediate reaction. I said a prayer, and now I want my, my results. We want it to be this exchange of goods. We want the immediate gratification that our society has so trained us in. I'm going to give you 20 bucks. You're going to give me my meal. Everything is going to be done in 15 minutes, and we're going to keep on moving. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. I'm going to pray a prayer of contrition. You're going to change my heart. And then I'm going to move on and be the best person ever. Or I'm going to pray for you to give me money. And all of a sudden there's going to be a windfall. Yep. 
win the lottery. Yeah. That's a common one. It doesn't work that way. Is it like ever too late to start praying? Because I know you came to your religion later in life. Yeah. Is there a point where it's like, mm, too late? No, I don't think that there is. I really don't. And for me, prayer was the entryway into faith. For some people, it's attending church or it's through, you know, the family taking you somewhere. I was playing the nurse in Romeo and Juliet, and I learned how to pray the rosary. Oh, my. (laughs) For development, because it would have mattered to the nurse. And that started a practice of this kind of leaning in toward something that is larger. And that started my entire faith practice. It's interesting. I think of my kids and I have such an interesting relationship with my own faith and with prayer that I have a hard time asking my kids to pray for things. Uh huh. And I don't know how to resolve that. Well, one of the tools that I use a lot with the youth, and actually both of your kids know this tool very well and could probably lead you in it. <laughs> sure. Which could be cool, right? Yeah is we use the PTA prayer, the praise, thank, and ask. And all it is is three questions. Gracious and loving God, today we praise you for, and then you shout out anything that you praise God for. Mm -hmm. Today we thank you for, and you shout out everything you thank God for. Today we ask you for, and anything else. And then a close, which the kids have like started to try to memorize because I say it really fast when we're gathered together in a group and they, they have a lot of fun with it. But what it does is it connects, you know, some of the depth, some days it's just food, mm-hmm. food, Mac glittery avocados, <laughs> right? <laughs> like it's, it can be as simple as that. But these kids over the years of doing this prayer with each other multiple times a week will say things like shelter for all people, clean water for everyone in the world, an end to violence, a freedom from sickness. We give thanks for family. Family always comes up for friends, right? They key into it. And so if nothing else, that's an easy prayer to do, you know, as a family or as a group, whenever Mm -hmm. you're gathered together. Nice. Okay. So speaking of ways to do these things, Mm -hmm. do you have to kneel? No. Do you have to like fold your hands? No. Because those are key components to how I was taught, and I'm using air quotes. Uh-huh. And I feel poorly if I'm not doing them, but at the same time, wow, they're uncomfortable. Yeah. So it's not natural. It's adiaphora, right? It's that beautiful word of things that don't matter for your salvation. You can kneel, you can fold your hands, or you can hold your hands with the palms up. You can do all of those things, but none of those things are required. There's no specific pose. There's no right or wrong. There's traditions. There's traditions. Where do they come from? Do you know? It's a good question. A lot of the traditions of how we worship and the actions we take in worship, like liturgically, Mm -hmm. have reason going back through time that echo through time. Some of those reasons are as simple as like, we want to make it clear who the person presiding is. So if they're doing the great big wide arms with the palms up, you know that that's the person presiding in the giant cathedral where you can't see the person very close, right? So there's a whole lot of different ways that these traditions Well, that makes kneeling make more sense too. 
right? Mm-hmm. To make it clear who is the person in charge that you're supposed to be watching and who are the people that are present together. And there's a lot of like self-mortification that came from the Middle Ages. <laughs> sure. That's a, yep, it's probably pretty uncomfortable. But there was a lot of like be uncomfortable for God stuff going on then. Yeah, but that's not necessary anymore either. I mean, it probably Again, wasn't even necessary then. Adiaphora okay. and tradition. <laughs> Excellent. Some people's necessary is some people's unnecessary. Okay. I got one last question for you. Do you tend to pray more in the good times when things are going well? Thank you for this. I'm so appreciative for that. Or do you tend to pray more when you need extra help because things aren't going so great? Ooh, what a good question. I think I notice that I am praying more when things aren't going well. I think I would agree. But I think there's a lot of time in my day and a lot of moments in my life where I feel that connection to something bigger than me. And that for me is prayer. And so I think that it's probably pretty even, but I think I notice it when I'm asking a lot because my own self feels guilty, right? I'm, I'm sorry I'm bothering you, right? Like, sure. <laughs> that's, it's really human to feel that way. Even though as a pastor, I would say to anyone, you're not bothering God, right? But I get it. I get it. So I think for me that that's the case. I probably pray about the same on both sides, but I'm aware of it when I'm praying for hard things. I would say that I would agree with you on it being equal, but the way I would pray when I notice things are going well is going to be completely different because it's just going to be a stop and, you know, relish the moment kind of thing. Yes. You don't stop and relish the moment in when things are going terribly. It's not quite the same. No, I'm with you. I'm with you. Well, thank you, Pastor Amanda, for taking the time to help us learn a little more about why we pray. I look forward to sitting down with you another week on another topic. As do I, and thank you all for joining us. May your prayer life be robust, and may you be kind in your judgment of it. Until we are back in your ears again, remember, God loves you, no matter what.